Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. You want to be a leader? We're going to talk to you about being a leader, and you don't have to be out front, loud. You don't have to be that. You can be the modest leader, and you get more results. Because like they say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So guys, listen to this episode. Share it. This is going to be amazing. I want to I want to introduce our brother, Ralph, coming on. He's got a brand new book out. It's called The Modest Leader. Amazing, game-changing book. Changed my life, changed my thought process. Ralph, my brother, what's going on? I'm good, Richard. How are you? Oh, man. You know what? Life is so good. Um, I loved your book. I devoured it in one sitting. Um, it's so easy to read it's very easily digestible even for a, a low-tech redneck like myself so, <laughs> thank you so much for that book brother how are you doing what's new i'm good nothing new just doing uh more podcasts it's, it's crazy what that book did for me um actually I had podcasters starting to reach out to me do interviews with them so yeah things have been going pretty steady you're and you're doing big things you got a lot of stuff going on but now, first of all, we're going to take you back. We're going to take you back to when you were a young little boy. What was what were you like as a little boy, and how was your your family dynamic? So I, I grew up a single parent home. My father died of a pretty much an alcohol, alcoholism. Uh, he had liver issues when I was nine years old, and he passed away. I turned to my mom right then and there at his viewing and said, "Mom, I'm not going to drink, not going to smoke." Not gonna do any drugs at nine years old. Uh, haven't since then. <clears throat> we we moved all over the place, places to where we needed to, uh, you know, where we could afford. Because my mom had had to uh, do two time, uh, work two jobs, and Hawaii's not cheap. And every time they raise the rent, we always had to move. And some of these areas weren't the greatest, but you know, my mom made it work somehow, some way. So I'm very thankful for her. Now, did you have any brothers and sisters coming up? No, that's the crazy thing. I'm the only child. So now, you know, because I grew up without a father. And um, so I never really knew how to grow up to be a, a good husband and a good father until I became a husband and father. Um, and, you know, as a child, because my mother was an addict, um, I used to escape. And my means of escape was reading. Um, did you have any means of escape that you enjoyed to do when you were a kid? Yeah, I would go down the park, play basketball with my friends. Um, I played instruments when I was young. I played the violin and then played the saxophone after that. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of my escape through everything, just just to get away from the, the realness of life, I guess, as a kid, because I, I did have to grow up pretty fast, so... So now, uh, what kind of kid were you in school? Were you a good student? Were you an athlete? No, actually, I was a <laughs> I was an average student. Um, I was like a C, C, B student, you know. But I I did my best just to try and uh, keep up with everybody. But you know, being a single parent home where my mom had to work two jobs and I was home by myself. Uh, you know, I just had to find ways to keep myself out of trouble. Now, um, when you were in high, when you graduated high school, did you get any uh, scholarships to go to colleges or anything like that? No, I didn't. I was more. My grades weren't good enough to go to any kind of universities. So, what happened was, I went to a community college. Didn't really find my footing there. And then I saw that there was a trade school for electronics. And that, that's when the dot-com boom was going. Everybody's going into the computer side of things and, you know, internet side of things. And I saw a trade school for it. It was a electronics slash computer 
uh, programming. So I went into that program for two years and got my associate's degree from there. Uh, graduated cum laude from that, amazingly. <laughs> so, you know, what made you decide to join the military? What was your thought process? So joining the military, I uh, after I got my degree, the only job I could get in Hawaii was office max. I was an electronic associate. And I'm like, man, this is not for me. And it, inside, I always wanted to serve. I always wanted to serve something bigger than myself, uh, be part of something with a purpose. And 11 months after I got that job, I walked into an Air Force recruiter uh, office and said, hey, what can you guys offer me? I have an electronics background. And they said, well, if you're interested, we do have a lot of technical type of jobs in the Air Force. And right after that, I think it was an hour and a half, one-on-one -on -one with the recruiter. And I walked up, walked out of there, signed up. So I just had to wait for a job to pick, MEPS, and a ship date. Now, did you go in as an officer because you had a bachelor's degree or did you go in as enlisted? No. So I only had an associate's degree. Okay. So I went in, I went in enlisted. Um, I did get E2 out of that, but. They're kind of all similar anyway, until you make sergeant, you know? So what was it like leaving home and you know, leaving your mom because you and you and her were, were very are very close, and you know, she, what was it like going to you know basic training and leaving the leaving the house for the first time? Yeah, so that that was pretty interesting because I, I didn't tell my mom until two weeks before I had to ship out that I was going into the military uh, because I know she didn't want me to leave, but for me, I had to cut the cord because. After I got my associate's degree with this trade school, I had an interview with the CIA and they wanted a second interview. The problem with that was I wasn't available because I had to work, but they still sent me the documents to go apply for the CIA as a telecommunications officer. And at that moment, I said, you know what? Maybe it is time for me to leave, leave this rock, Hawaii, because, you know, opportunities here for me aren't, aren't great. And I want to kind of expand my horizons a bit and that's why i chose to go into the air force now um one thing i really love about you is you're very you're very humble and that, that's and i mean that in a good way um and you're always about us uh we it's never about you know you or me so but that all goes back to when you were in the fifth grade and and something happened. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so in the fifth grade, um, I was voted, uh, what do you call that? Best friend of the class. Uh, you know, every, every kid voted who would be your best friend in this class. And they voted me. And I was shocked. I was like, huh? And I realized that when you take the me or I and you just care about people, even at that age, <clears throat> even with the situation I've been through, you know, I never used it as a crutch. Um, Cause I always know that my mom taught me to be very strong in your beliefs and whatever you do, you know, you, you do it to the best of your ability. And when you, when you take out the, the me, the I, the reciprocation is, is crazy. So, uh, one time I had these bags, right? I, I'm not a very big guy. I've always probably like four foot nothing back then with three bags to go on a camping trip. And I had to take that on the city bus. And then when I walked out, my friends saw me and they all ran and they helped uh, carry my bags to, you know, help me out. I didn't even ask. They just saw me. So. Yeah, at that point, I was like, you know what? Compassion is more important than, than anybody's title or whatever uh, material things they have. It's it's your character that matters the most compared to the physical things in life. And, you know, one thing I really relate to your story because um, 
I was involved in the big brother, big sister program. And that really changed my perspective on, on, you know, how some people even, you know, even though I had it bad, some people even had it worse than me. So can you please talk a little bit about, you know, being involved with the big brothers and the big sisters when you were a child? Yeah. My my mom, I had a friend who also had a single child, a, a son, and he was growing up uh, fatherless too. And she mentioned something about the big brothers, big sister program. So my mom asked me, do you want to go through that program? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And that's where I met my, uh, one of the mentors. I'm still in touch with him today. He taught me that, you know, it's not, I, I lived in, it's a place called Kalihi. You know, it's, it's not the greatest area to grow up, but it's not the worst neither. But he told me, you know, this is not the only place in this world. Um, look past <clears throat> of what you physically see. Find out what really is out there for you because there's so much opportunities out there for you. And he was teaching me this since I was in the fifth grade. And so I stopped seeing him, you know, in the Big Brother Big Sister. When you're 18, you, you know, you, you kind of, that contract's over, right, at 18 years old. But we we still hung out after 18. And every time I go back to Hawaii, I try to make a point to, uh, to go see him. But he, he taught me how to expand my horizons, how to think bigger and just not limit myself. Now, you know, when, you know, when, when we join the military, you know, a, a lot of times people, um, if, if a person's quiet or if they're not big stature, um, they get they get looked over a lot. So what was it like, you know, not being of stat, a big stature? and also be a kind of quiet guy. What was your first couple of years in the military like? Uh, it was pretty interesting because I was still adjusting to that culture. Uh, coming from Hawaii, the Aloha spirit, everybody's, you know, uh, pretty receptive to each other. Then I go into the military, I meet people from all different places, then I have to adjust to each, each person's attitude. But they, they always... I wouldn't say weak, but they wouldn't say that after they met me. You know what I mean? They would judge me on the outside, but once they got to know me, they're like, oh, this guy's actually, you know, all right. Like, I'm not going to be a pushover. So people had to get to know me to really know what I was about. And I didn't really go out there just showing myself like that. So how quickly did you become a non-commissioned officer? Uh, three and a half years. Okay, because I know that when I became a non-commissioned officer, in the military they call it the NCO creed. I don't know about the other – in the Army, it's NCO creed. Um, but I took being an NCO very seriously – I always put my took care of my guys, took my make sure they were taken care of. So talk about the mindset going from an enlisted now all of a sudden you're an NCO. And what is the difference between a good leader and an influential leader? Ooh, that's a tough one. So with the difference, it's you know, not now you're charged. Right. As an NCO, I think it's, it's pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's the same with other branches. You're charged with the responsibility of making decisions, guys. And of course, you have to take that seriously. You have to uh, be strong and firm in your decision, whether it's wrong or right, and face the consequences when it's wrong. Um, for for me, it was just adjusting from being like hanging out with the guys I was hanging out with. And then all of a sudden I got charged with this rank. Now our relationship, our work, working relationship, uh, relationship is different because, it ha- you know, I had to be, I had to let them know, Hey, I'm a Sergeant here and you're, you're my subordinate now, but I'm still not going to treat it as a, you know, I'm not going to be power tripping over anything. I'm still going to treat them with compassion <clears throat> Make sure I take care of them and, you know, try to let them shine, shine in their way. Now that I had the power to do that. 
and you know, like one, like when I became an NCO, um, I was, I was a tanker, you know, that was my job. I was an M1 tanker. And just because I was an NCO didn't mean that when our tank broke down and we had to go break track that I'm just going to sit in a chair and watch them work while I sat there. So I tried to really, you know, lead by example. Um, is that something that you did? Oh, absolutely. I would never, I told my guys, I would never ask them to do something that I wouldn't do. And if they didn't know how to do it, I'd go in there, get it, get dirty with them. Cause I used to, we used to work on aircraft. I used to work on the A-10s and the F-15s and we were uh, weapons loaders. So every time, you know, a new troop would come in, I'd show them, Hey, this is how you do it. You know, <clears throat> make sure everything's according to the checklist. And if you have any questions, and I tell them, please do not be afraid to say you don't know, because I, I'm not going to hound you. I'm going to appreciate your honesty, and we, we're going to get together, you know? Yep. Now, one thing, you know, I always, even when, you know, I, I had my own, my own squad, my own platoon, if I made a mistake, I would own up to it in front of the troops. You know, I always tried to, you know, have like like Stephen and Lane talk about, you know, that honesty, integrity, and the transparency. And I think a lot of times leaders are afraid to say, hey, you know what, guys? I screwed up. I made a mistake. You know what I mean? So how were you, if, you, if anything like that happened to you, where you're like, all right, guys, you know what? I screwed up. I'm sorry. Let's move on. I, I think they respect you more for that. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, of course. I, I would tell them, I, you know, my bad. I made this mistake. It's my fault. You know, do, do not take any blame for this. And even if it, it was, you know, the truth's fault, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to let crap roll downhill. I'm going to stop it from me. I'm going to take the butt chewing. And we just going to roll roll forward from here. We're going to take what we need, you know, what they give us. And then we're going to improve from it. Now, obviously, you know, that built trust in between the pe- your people and, and, and the squad. So, you know, and I think the biggest thing, no matter if it's business, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's in the military, is having trust in your fire team is probably the biggest thing. Because I know if we go into war, I know that Ralph's got my back. I can trust him that he squared away his weapons clean, you know what I mean? And if right. you don't have that trust, it's kind of like, well, then you really don't have a team. You know what I mean? You just, you just have one guy telling other people what to do. Yeah. It, it, I always told my crew, if we had issues, let's go far away from the squadron and let's talk about it. If we got to scream at each other, we've got to scream at each other. But let's come out of it uh, better than before. So now, you know, like I love, there's some people that I love, you know, I, for some reason I was always, I didn't like the guys that were very loud, boisterous. And I still don't like even some public speakers that are just loud. And, you know, I like the guy that's quiet, um, sometimes unassuming. And sometimes I got to lean in to hear what they're talking about. Um, So talk to us about the difference between you you know, being a person that, you know, leads by example and talks quietly, but carries a big stick and, and somebody that just talks out loud just to talk out loud and, and bark orders. Yeah, so I, I never really liked those guys neither, but to me, it was yelling, being loud. That was just a waste of energy to me. Um, I even told my troops, you know, I, I'm not loud. I, I observe how you guys are. And if you got to fix something. This will be the tone of my voice. If you got to fix it this way and, you know, help. And I'll be right there with you, right alongside. But no, I, I was never allowed. And I had, a, I had a, I have a baby face too. So that, you know, at 21, a lot of people told me I looked like I was a 16 year old and I was a staff sergeant. And so that, that made it even harder for some of the new E6s that came in to kind of look at me and be like, can we trust this guy? 
So I've I always had to prove myself over and over again. But at the same time, I had to prove to my truth. So like, hey, I got your back. So, you know, because I know once I started, once I got my head straight the second time I was in <laughs> and I, you know, I started moving up the ranks. I started getting a lot of haters. You know, I started getting people, oh, he thinks he's better than me now that he's moving up. So what was it that made you move up more than others? Did you put in more study time? Did you put more work in? What made you, because like a lot lot of people, you know, they would get to E5 and E6 and then they're just, they get fat, dumb and happy. What was (laughs) it that, you know, what was it that made you decide, all right, I want to take this even further? So the, there was a shift in my military career. It was, um, it, there was a senior master sergeant. I don't know what she had against me, but she was trying to kick me out for everything that was wrong on the flight line, but none of it had my name on it. And I just didn't know why. Even the staff, other staff sergeants were like, why is she like this to you? And <clears throat> so what happened was because she, this is my assumption. I don't know if it's fact or not. But I found out later on, because she couldn't find anything to build paperwork on me to kick me out of the Air Force, she stopped my reenlistment paperwork from going through. So when I tried to, at my five-year mark, they told me I was downsizing the, uh, the whole military force. And you needed to turn in a certain piece of paper to make sure you can reenlist. And that paper never got through. That's a MPF, a military personnel flight. I was, I was upset, right? And I'm like, what do I do now? I didn't even prepare myself to to be a civilian. So part of the out processing, uh, you have to go through a reserve recruiter. And what's crazy is that reserve recruiter knew my story, went to Hawaii where I was uh, ETSing out of, you know, I was going back to my hometown and he had a conference with other recruiters out there and they said, hey, there's a 2W that just got out, still wants to serve. And this unit was looking for a 2W, which was my career field. And it was a perfect marriage. And at that point, I said, you know what, I'm going to make this, even though it's, it's the reserves, I'm going to make this the best um, <clears throat> military career possible. And the, you know what they say, right? The best revenge is success. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happened to me. Like I didn't have a choice but to get out of the active duty part. And and then through that, I I got multiple um, lead positions with my civilian career, and I worked with a lot of veterans. And and still then, I still had to fight to get those lead positions because. They looked at resumes. I guess mine wasn't good enough. And this other guy never had the same experience I did, but he was the lead. But Army veteran, he came up to me and said, I know you're upset with your rank, your pay here in this uh, in this company. But he told me this. He said, if you can prove to me you can lead these guys, then I'll take care of you. So six months later, I got about a $14 raise because he made me, he made me a tech three and he made me a lead, which, you know, those two things will give you extra pay. Okay. So now you, so you're doing both. You're doing civilian work and you're also in the military at the same time, you know, and a lot of people don't realize how hard that is on a person's life and a person's, um, you know, a person's personal life. Because right. you're not really military, but you're not really civilian. So you're kind of like riding a line. And usually, like, you know, we all know, you know, what's what happens with Sergeant, uh, Master Sergeant Robert Garcia, you know, that anytime there's a wedding, anything like that, you're pretty much going to have a uh, drill that weekend. When you're, <laughs> when you're at anything good that happens, is you're usually going to have a drill that weekend. So how did you go about trying to excel both in the civilian sector and also the military sector. The, what happened to me on active duty, that's what drove me. I said, you know what? I'm going to take control of what I can and prove to these guys around me that 
I will take care of them and from top to bottom that, you know, I'm not going to be afraid to stand up for the guys, but at the same time, I'm going to produce for, for the higher ups. Um, the balance was hard because, you know, you say, you hear some companies, yeah, we support the veterans, this and that. Every time I know, I remember some companies say, hey, I got to go, I got to be gone for three months. I got to be gone for four months, two weeks. Right. And they're like, what again? I said, I thought you guys support the veterans. So you always had that conflict. And then, and then on top of your work and your military life, you have your family. Now you got to balance that out too, because now you got to adjust to either your spouse has to adjust to a certain type of schedule or you got to bring a family member in to help take care of your kids or just stuff like that. You know, it, it, they don't realize like on active duty, there's two things you take care of your military career and your family. When you become a reservist, there's three things, your military career, your civilian job and your family. And family usually ends up being last a lot of times. Yeah, which it shouldn't be, but yeah, because you got to provide missions and you got to provide for the family. So, so now what do you do if, you know, because like we can, we can talk about both ways. We're going to talk about business and we're also going to talk about military. What do you do if you have a, a team member that is underperforming? What, you know, because for, in my experience, if you yell at a person and, you know, I, I, I try not to curse on my show, but it's my show. So I can, uh, you know, if you call a person a shit bag, um, they're just going to become a bigger shit bag. So right. you get, take a person like for me, I was, when I first, the second time I got in, I was that, I was that shit bag until I got my head straight. Um, but it was somebody that took me underneath their wing and taught me. So how did you, if you had anybody like that in your, in your uh, charge, how did you turn that, help turn them around? So one, one situation is where I had a weapon shoot. I see, oh my God, all these other sergeants just yelling, 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 and he would move slower and slower and slower. <laughs> it, was a, it was an opposite effect. And then once he became under my supervision, I said, look, I see how the other sergeants are treating you. This is my tone of my voice. This is how loud I'm going to get with you, no matter what. You work hard for me, I'll take care of you. Became one of the best weapons troop on the fly line after that. So it was it was just how he didn't respond well to all the yelling. But he responded more to somebody caring about him. Because I know one time he, he got in trouble. Um, it was... He parked somewhere he wasn't supposed to, so they, they wanted me to write him a letter of counseling. And so, it, you know, I said, man, that's crap, right? So I t- we went to the private office, wrote him the letter of counseling, and I said, is this ever going to happen again? He said, no, Sergeant. So I ripped it up. I said, this is not going to your personal file. I don't care what they say. <clears throat> so just, just having the backbone and just, you know, letting them know, hey, I'm willing to take this for you as long as you you work hard for me and you take care of me. And, you know, I love that because, you know, I got out of the military now. It's been 12 years. And that was the one thing that I hated. I mean, I'm, I went through basic in 1986. So I'm like one of those OGs. I'm, I'm one of the old guard, you know. I yeah. would, you know, if me and you had a problem with each other, we would take off our, you know, take off our blouse, hop behind a tank, duke it out a little bit come back put our you know put our chops back on have a beer and just you know talk about it but you know and then everything started becoming you know counseling statements which i don't think counseling statements does shit for anybody unless you're just trying to get somebody kicked out so talk to us about because there's a difference between you know listening and active listening you know, and there's a difference between, you know, talking with someone and talking at someone. So talk to us about effective communication. So what I do is I try to find out their interest, right? Like my, my crew, I had one one guy, you know, he was black, all hip hop, 
And then I had the Caucasian guy. He was goth. And I had to mesh them together to make us work together. So what I do, I to find out their interests, uh, find out, you know, where their dorms are. Not to spy on them, just to check out, like, make sure they're doing okay, observe their behavior, and just talk to them in a, in a manner where it's from the heart. Because a lot of times in the military, it's so uh, structured and it the out of the structured way are more successful than the people who are in the structured way. That's what my observation anyway. So I, I talk to them in a manner where they can respond in kind and <clears throat> where I can tell them what my interests are too, so that we all have some kind of bond. You know, and I, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, something that like helped turn me around, there was a, um, a sergeant, his name was Sergeant First Class V. I don't know if he's still alive anymore, but um, what he would do was, you know, even though he knew I screwed up, um, it, he would celebrate the little wins for me. You know, like if I get, if I passed inspection, something stupid like that, but he would praise me and it made me want to do better and go above and beyond, you know, st- because he would celebrate those little wins. So can you talk, please talk about that a little bit? You know, sometimes in order to, the way to get a person to do better things is to praise them when they do good things and they'll want to do them even more, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it magnifies it for that person, right? Like when we used to fail our, <laughs> we used to fail our uh, monthly equivalency for loading weapons on the, the aircraft. And then, I said, you know what? I need to improve on this. And then I had that same troop that, you know, people were having trouble with. And I took the other guy. The other guy, he was, he was, he was good. He knew his job. He knew everything. He actually stood up to me and said, "We need to step up." I'm like, "You're absolutely right." So we talked about it. Said, "All right, let's let's work on this. Let's work on this." And with 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 this person, that was you know that little wins thing. I say, hey, let's move faster. Let's move faster. Let's move faster. And he, in his head, he think he was moving faster. But every time I say let's move faster, he would go quicker and quicker and quicker. And then, towards like after some time, we we started winning crew of the month. We started getting uh, zero zero discrepancies on our on our loads. Sometimes we were the fastest ones to load the aircraft. And what was the reward of that? We we could go straight home after that. Shift on the on a flight line. So what I would do is like, if we had that, I would take them out to, uh, it was called Coco's. It's one of the uh, Japanese that everybody loved in Japan. Okay. So we, yeah, we would go out there and treat them. Hey, after this load, let's clean up. Let's go get some dinner and go home. So all those little things. And then I would tell them, Hey, you doing, you doing good, man. Just keep it up. You know, just, just little tidbits like that. It, it's amazing the response that you get from these certain type of individuals. And then, of course, you got to study the type of individuals they are too, right? Some don't react to uh, greatly to that. Sometimes it's more of, let me talk to you on the side, away from everybody, you know? And then we can, I can have a serious tone, but still not yell at them. But they would appreciate it because I took them to the side and not, um, what do you call that? Not embarrass them in front of their, their peers. Okay. Now, how many years did you do in the military? I did a total of 20. So now what was your thought process? You, you hit your 20 year mark. Um, what was your thought process in getting out? Now, the reason why I ask that, because I've interviewed now hundreds of veterans, and usually when they get out of the military, um, no matter if they serve two years or 20, um, you know, they they kind of lose their mission. Um, like like our friend Nick, Nick from the group talks about, you know, once you step off the base, the military does not give a shit about you and your phone stops ringing. So now you don't have a mission. A lot of times, if you only did a couple of years, you don't have a paycheck. 
And now you don't have your, your squad members and your friends. So what was your mindset and what was your transitioning outlook? So there were, there was two transitioning for me since I went from active duty and then transitioned out of the reserves. So the active duty, uh, I wasn't ready. Uh, I, I had a hard time. I had to, but it was because I woke up without a purpose no more. You know, it was something that was missing. And I had the, the troops I used to have. Um, it, it felt empty. So I went into depression. Um, <clears throat> you know, not, not to the point of suicide, but it was just like, man, what's, what's my purpose in life here? But I remember deep down inside, you know, what my mom told me, what my big brother told me. Just, just keep on keeping on, keep, keep pushing. So I got a, I got a nighttime job after six years of active duty. I got a nighttime job driving cars for Avis and budget for like seven bucks an hour at night. That way during the day I could do interviews. Uh, and after six months on my last active duty paycheck, Raytheon called me, say, Hey, we want to hire you. You're one of the six candidates out of like a thousand that they chose. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, finally, I got a steady paycheck. I can I can finally take care of my family again. And so that process was, you know, I went through a time of depression. Like, what am I doing wrong here? Because as a veteran, sometimes you expect, okay, I'm a veteran. It should be pretty easy for me to get, you know, get a civilian job. But no, it, it wasn't that way for me. But that struggle taught me a lot. Because, you know, if you just keep pushing, you keep pushing, you keep pushing good things are going to happen no matter what you go through. It'll just make you tougher for it. Now, you know, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about um, resumes because um, one of my friends, Jim, he has a, 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 a resume business also. And we were putting mine together um, to put on LinkedIn. And he, he went, he explained to me, you know, like you, like you talk about is, you know, sometimes when we, as military personnel, we're making a resume and we're putting all kinds of nomenclatures and all kinds of stuff. And it, it looks totally confusing to the civilian population. And a lot of times when, you know, if a civilian, you know, somebody that's hiring looks at that resume and they can't tell heads or tails. So they're just going to toss it to the side because they don't know what the hell you're talking about. Is you know, you see that a lot with the business that you have? Yeah. So a lot of times I have to, I have to do the research myself when they do acronyms. And then, I, you know, I, I either go back to the guy and say, hey, what does this mean? And then I have to do research so I can get the, the concept of it down so I can put those details in the resume. Because some resumes I see are like uh, deployed to Iraqi freedom and participated in this exercise. Uh, okay. Uh, what did you do exactly in there? You know, so sometimes I have to do the research. And then the jargon part, as long as they, you know, that those abbreviations, those acronyms, how military speak, right? We always speak in acronyms. And sometimes those acronyms don't mean the same from other branches. They could have the same letters, but they could totally mean different things. So I was try to write those out or try to find out, hey, what, what, what is this exactly? And, and then after the resume is done, I make sure the client can speak to it because that's the worst part when somebody, somebody else does your resume and then you can't speak to it. And when you go on an interview. You know, and I could, I could totally see that. Um, so now, you know, we're going to talk about business now and we're going to talk about, you know, getting jobs in the civilian sector. What do you recommend? You know, cause a lot of people don't think about getting out until they're out. Do you, recommend, you know, maybe six months, a year ahead of time, maybe they start networking, maybe they start putting feelers out, getting their resume together. What is your opinion? I say six months to a year would be right timing. If, if you absolutely know that you're getting out because now you can start networking. Um, if you plan to stay close to the base you're staying, your networking will help you. 
um, tap, I mean, yeah, go to taps, but you know, taps only teaches us so much. Talk to the guys who already got out and already have their career, their second career set. Go reach out to those guys, ask them for tips. Hey, how did you adjust to this? How did you adjust to that? Because a lot of times when we get out, we just like, oh, we see the finish line, but we don't see, we don't see what's after that that we need to do. So yeah, start on the resume, start the networking. Um, if you want to go to school, you know, make sure make sure all those benefits are intact. Your post 9-11 GI Bill. Um, depending on where you plan to get out, make sure that's the school and the the type of uh, major you want to get into. So just just those things, just networking, just prepare your mindset that. You know, it's not going to be as structured anymore. You're going to have um, somebody's son making six digits because they own the company. And you're going to be from the bottom, even if you, you were E6, E7, E8, E9. You have to start over again and you have to swallow that pride. Now, you know, talking about pride um, now, you know, me and you are both gone through the Design Your Paycheck course, you know, with uh, Robert Garcia. And, you know, I'm a 50 going to be 53 year old guy so i had to humble myself and learn the things that you know i don't know you know one of my favorite sayings is you know you don't know what you don't know so hire somebody that does so talk to us a little bit about um if you don't mind robert garcia and talk to us a little bit about his um his course and what it's done for you and how it's helped you so with robert garcia man he awesome guy um, I served with him. You know, we, we were in the same reserve unit together. And we, we talked here and there. We weren't really like hangout type uh, buddies. But he would always tell me like before he would, he's struggling with, you know, bef- before he got all this success. Like, oh man, I'm, I'm struggling, but you know, the 95 is not for me. And I would go there like, hey, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Because if you quit, that's it. All right. So. We'd always, I'd always go there, support him, and then every time I had issues with my my projects and stuff, you know, with the military side, he he'd always support me. Hey, that's you know, you did a good job over there, and maybe try this and this and this next time. You know, I didn't look at his rank; I looked at his knowledge, even though I ranked in that time, because I can always learn from everybody. And with just with the the designer paycheck, man, he. Just because of that, without even advertising this, this ebook got me five hundred bucks. That's without even social media or nothing. So, it his ideas worked. He has a proven concept of uh, a business uh, setting, no matter what it is, and he has a lot of connections too. So. Yeah, he, so, he's, he's amazing. So talk to me, you know, about writing your own book, how that came out. And because um, I love the book, by the way. And what kind of uh, feedback have you received from from your book? So the book came about because, uh, again, Robert Garcia, he. He said, you made chief master sergeant, that's one percent of the Air Force with that personality. I'm pretty sure a lot of people would want to know how because a lot of the the chiefs we had, they were loud or they had that stature. And here comes me, the next chief master sergeant who's in quiet, uh, not, not very boisterous. And so that's how it came about. But Robert said, told me, but you were effective as a leader because they responded to you very uh you know you you produced a lot with the way you were even if you weren't loud you didn't have this this commanding presence you just knew how to take care of you guys and which you know that was that was the main thing and so that's how that book came about he just he said tell tell your story because i think people would want to hear your story and you know from from your younger younger life to until you made chief master sergeant. So that's that's how the book came about. So what are you doing now? What do, what are you currently up to right now? 
So right now, um, I'm continuing to telling telling my story with uh, Vicky. She's she's a podcast based out of Singapore, so it's it's like worldwide, uh, international podcast, and she's helping me tell my story out there. And the reason why I wanted on an international, you know, one I'm Filipino, and I wanted to see me and be like, this guy made it that far, and he looks like that. And he's quiet, you know, so I just wanted to be an example of somebody who's quiet, but still you can lead effectively. And then the resume thing, that's, that's, you know, that's, I have references, our referrals here and there, and then I'm, I'm starting to help more, even they're not, um, you know, before it was veterans. Now, now it's becoming like civilians you know community neighbors helping their resumes out and um so far it, it's been picking up okay so now a lot of people you know there are certain gurus out there i'm not going to mention any names because i'm not about to get sued uh, <laughs> you know they're always talking about you know um go all in on your dream and all this but you know there's people like us you know out, we got a house got a mortgage payment we got kids so how do you go about, you know, you because you still have a government job, correct? Yes. So then how do you tell us what a day, what your day is like, you know, working a full-time job and then also starting your business? How did you um, go about doing both successfully? So it's, it's crazy because it thing came about from, from work, actually. Some of these guys were having issues transferring their contractors, their defense contractors, to civil service employees because what it is is keywords on their resumes. And it got to the point where I helped a bunch of people. The supervisor were like, hey, go to Ralph so he can help you with your resume so we can transfer you over to civil service. And then my got help. He's a Marine vet. And he looked at me and he said, dude, you have a gift. You should start uh, doing this as a business. It's it's low overhead. It's just you and your computer and your time. You have nothing else to invest, you know, besides that. And so that's how it came about. Then I I, I put it in um, Robert Garcia's ear, and he said, "That's your niche." So and that that's how it came about. But just balancing everything, it, it's just time management. <clears throat> um, just after work, you know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there. Making sure I can contact those guys at the right times because we all live in different time zones sometimes. Uh, making sure I get the right information on there. And then, I, you know, I give them a certain time frame when I, when I can get it done. That way, if, if they agree with the time frame, then cool. If not, then that's cool too. So now, you know, last couple of questions. How do we find you? How can we get in touch with you? If somebody needs a resume done, how can we get get in touch with you? So right now, I just have an email and an FB page. The email is straightresumeenhancement at gmail.com. And my FB page is the same, straight resume enhancement. And yeah, it is searchable. Okay. Now, straight resume, right? Yeah, straight resume enhancement. Okay, so now last question, um, you know, we, we're still living in a crazy world. We're still living in a COVID world. Um, here in New Jersey, a lot of uh, parents have lost jobs. So some of them are driving Uber, DoorDash, and just trying to pay the bills. So if there's somebody out there right now struggling to find a good job, I think that there's going to be a lot of jobs opening up um, once this whole um, – unemployment thing gets straightened out so if there's somebody out there struggling to find a better job what's something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some to get some help and maybe to get their resume looked over and actually enhanced so what what i would suggest is go search do a job search find the specific one you want because the way i do my resumes is i cater it to the job posting it's not just a general resume. Um, so find find the job they want. Look at the, the pay scale. 
they can uh if that's what they want for the pay scale then cool come to me i help you out with uh you know i, I do charge 225 but that's for 225 dollars a resume but that's with two revisions within three months so say say you're finding another job because you change your mind then that's you know then you can bring that one revision in that's included in that 225 dollar charge so that's kind of the way i'm trying to help people out because i know some people out there do federal resumes and they charge like 400 dollars and with nothing extra so okay so guys if you're if you're listening to this definitely go to straight resume enhancement at gmail.com and you can also go to his Facebook page, Straight Resume Enhancement. It's full of knowledge, um, doing great things. Ralph, I love you, brother. I appreciate everything that you're doing, and um, I support you 100%. Whatever I can do, I got your back, bro. I appreciate it, Richard. All right, Ralph, have an amazing week and have an awesome weekend. All right, you too, sir. God bless you. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand, coming out it's called vertical momentum coffee it's ass kicking coffee and and it will it will get you moving in the morning so guys if you're interested go to www.richardkaufman.net check us out leave us a note tell us what you'd like and we'll actually send it to you the new website is being built so if you guys want to Our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.